Tonight's text from which I'll be preaching is found in Psalm 22. By the end of this weekend, we will have spent much time there. As it was read last night, as it was quoted and referenced in Matthew's Gospel, in the chapter 27, five times alone, Psalm 22 was either quoted directly or referenced there. And so particularly this evening, I would like for us to consider the first half of that psalm. As we come back together on Resurrection Lord's Day, we'll consider the last half, the last portion of that psalm. Hear now with me the reading of the Word of God. To the chief musician set to the deer of dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and they were delivered. They trusted in you, and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by all the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Yahweh, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horn of wild oxen. Our gracious Father, as we contemplate this prophetic psalm, We ask that the Spirit of God would attend the preaching and minister to our our spirits this evening with the gravity of the passage before us and the reality of which Christ lived in the experience upon the cross. May we be comforted knowing that when He died, we also died with Him. And all of our sins were buried. And they were taken away. And we were cleansed. 
And so we pray as we remember the dark hour of our Lord. We can, with even greater gratitude and praise, from this time forward, bring forth a more abundance of offering from our lips unto our great, holy Creator and God and Savior and friend. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As a kid, I learned that I could take a magnifying glass and in the brightness of the sun, it would focus it upon a point and would begin to instantly burn and, and just destroy that which I could focus it on. The light was so bright, you couldn't even look at the little dot that was coming so clearly focused through that uh, convex lens as the, the, the glass would then bend the light and bring it all to a sharp focus. The energy from the sun was concentrated now on a very tiny spot. And yet I feel like as I read this portion of the scripture before us in Matthew's gospel in chapter 27, that that is much like the convex of what's going on here. Uh, the the focus of the prophecies from the time of the seed of the woman was promised to come and destroy the, the head of the serpent. Never in history of the world or the redemptive program of God has there been more prophecies fulfilled than in the events which we consider this weekend in just a couple of days. All of history was building up to this moment and since the time of the resurrection and ascension, we look back to this as one of the, the climactic parts in human history. The climactic part. Until the coming of Christ again. This world has not been the same. The work upon Christ, the cross that Christ accomplished did not accomplish it merely for you and me, though that is significant and astounding as it is. The entire world has not been the same. It is as if all of the prophetic light of the Old Testament is now just focused in upon this moment in time. And the narratives of the gospel have taken some broad strokes over the last three years of Jesus' ministry. And only a page or two can cover many months and weeks. And now here they slow down. And they give us details. And they take up more words and more pages. And they want us to know these details. And so we consider them minutely. While the human author of Psalm 22 was David himself, this psalm was prophetically penned for Jesus himself. I believe this psalm is a very special psalm in our Psalter for some of those very unique characteristics that it has here. It wasn't merely messianic. It was for Jesus. And this is the reason why the psalm takes its drastic different character beginning at verse 22. 
so much so that it appears as though it should belong into two separate psalms. But it doesn't. And as the first verse of this psalm is quoted by Jesus himself while he's hanging upon the cross, we hear Christ not only owning the psalm for himself, but this was the prayer meant for him for this very specific occasion. We were going through a deep trial in our own lives. We know that there are assurances that God has given to us and hope that He gives us in the Word to endure them and to look through the trial to what God has promised that will come. And the Scripture says in Romans 15, 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, and that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And Jesus began learning from a very early age the Torah and the Old Testament history and the prophets. But Jesus learned very early the Psalms. And this is what this psalm did for our Savior as He owned it and as He prayed it while suffering upon the cross. Matthew reveals the initial lament of which this psalm begins. And it was audible that day for those who stood by. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's no indication that any men could hear the rest of the prayer as Christ prayed this psalm, but God heard him. In this psalm, we're allowed into the mind and to the soul of our Savior Himself as He suffers vicariously on the cross for our sins. And this was his psalm. And he prayed it in his darkest hour. And it was there for him in this hour. The first division of this psalm, which we come up to verse 21, highlights three particular spheres of his suffering, of which I would like to couple that with the passage that we read from the 27th chapter of Matthew this evening to consider what the prophet was saying through the words of Psalm 22 and then when it took place with our Lord dying upon the tree. The first sphere in which our Lord suffered that day upon the cross is He suffered before a holy God. First five verses of that psalm reveal this sphere. And as Christ cries out this prayer, which was recorded in Matthew's gospel, which says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all of the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, and literally the Hebrew here he now quotes, 
And it probably should go and sound something more like Eli, Eli, Lama, Zakbwathani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Deserted me is the word. Psalm goes on in verse 2 through 5. And the Psalm 22 says, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you did not hear. And in the night season, and I am not silent about it. But you are holy, 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 enthroned in the praises of Israel. This was the darkest hour of our Lord, and I would say for our Father and the Spirit as well. No one really understands the gravity or the grief of that hour before a holy God bearing all of our sins upon Him. God forsook His Son in order that He might forgive us. With our sin and guilt imputed to Christ who knew no sin and now having become sin for us, He took the full force of God's just and necessary wrath against our sin. And while Christ was suffering upon the cross, God dealt with Him in terms of us. God dealt with Him in terms of us. No one can understand that complete abandonment that our Lord felt in that hour. His disciples had abandoned Him. His people, the Jews, had abandoned Him. The nation that He came to save abandoned Him and, and turned Him over to the Roman government, abandoned. And here He was, abandoned in that hour by the Holy God as the Father turns. This complete abandonment of Christ upon the cross for our sake and for our sins declares how absolutely offensive our sin is to a holy God and how absolutely gracious God is in giving us His dear Son to be our Savior. I was thinking about that third verse on that song that we sang. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load, tis the word, the Lord's anointed, Son of man, Son of God. There is no other way to heaven or to God except through Jesus Christ. And look at the price he paid. As one preacher had said, how dare any man say there is another way? 
And neither can anyone understand or comprehend the utter despair he will experience if he dies apart from Christ. Because there upon the Christ, God the Father was dealing with Christ in terms of us. But if you are apart from Christ and you have not his imputed righteousness, nor has your sin been removed and put upon Christ himself where God's wrath was appeased there, then you will have to bear that load for the rest of eternity. Let's not think lightly of sin nor the consequences or how our holy God views it. Christ has promised you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. There may be times when God seems distant, but he is always, always very close to you. But Christ himself suffered the genuine agony of experiencing the reality that God had deserted him in these final hours so that you may never know that. And what a great promise it is. The second sphere of his suffering was that he suffered under the hands of cruel men. And Psalm 22, verses 6 through 10 gives us that sphere. It's the next stanza of the song. And it testifies to the cruelty of spiritually blind men who can look directly at the cross and reject the Savior. Saul says, but I am a worm, a reproach of men, despised by people. That's echoing Isaiah 53, or I should say Isaiah 53, perhaps echoing the psalm, but Christ is the fulfillment where Isaiah 53 says that describes the, the natural perception that Christ has to, to unbelievers. That's how they view him, despised and has no form of comeliness, nothing worthy to look at, despised. He's just a reproach. And then we hear the words that then soldiers would fulfill the prophecy in verse 8 of the psalm. He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Perhaps maybe that was more of the religious leaders. Mocking at him. Matthew quotes this portion in verses 39 through 40. Hear that portion. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now all these verses in Matthew are accounting that these very ones, the chief priests and the scribes and the Jews, even the Romans, were fulfilling the very prophecy of Psalm 22. As Jesus was praying this psalm on the cross, 
These vile and blasphemous men were fulfilling its very words that he could have spoken the words right with them. Because they were right out of Psalm 22, verse 6 and verse 8. And throughout the Psalms, the writers would lament how evil men have oppressed them and the evil depravity of the human heart continues to surprise us in the depths of hatred and vile sin that it exposes. And here we have Christ who has the entire brunt of it. And he had no one to turn to for comfort in that hour like you and like me. It was his darkest hour. The first sphere of suffering was before a holy God. The second sphere was before these vile men. And the second or the third sphere in that last stanza of this first portion, given in verses 12 through 18, he suffers in the entirety of his being from the inside out. Part of the agony was the inmost being of our Savior with this hated crowd hurling their insults and their blasphemies at Him. And the psalm describes the scene as Jesus hung upon the cross and He describes them as strong bulls, the bulls of Bashan. He describes them as roaring lions seeking to, to devour its prey as wild dogs and wild oxen a significant part of the agony that our Lord suffered was inside, in His spirit, His emotions. The part of His agony also included the excruciating physical pain that He endured for hours. Having been up all night, He was exhausted. Having been abused by the Romans at his trial, having been beaten and plucked his beard and, and hit on the head and pressing a crown of thorns into his brow and trying to ridicule him in the most humiliating places and ways. The cross itself was a death by torture. It was considered in its day the most humiliating way to die. And it was a slow and agonizing and painful death, and deliberately so. And as he hung on the cross, his body weight would make it difficult for him to breathe, and he would try to gasp for air until slowly the breath would not come and he would suffocate. That would be a typical way. The Lord was so beaten and bruised and and jabbed and pierced of his hands and feet. He may not have made it that long, but he died nonetheless. The psalmist describes the scene for us in Psalm 22, verse 14. His bones were out of joint as it lay there rat under its own weight. Verse 15 talks about his body being stretched and he was as water, his heart melts like wax within him. There was no rigidity. 
In verse 17, it speaks of the intolerable thirst that he has, that his mouth was just so completely dry and his hands and his feet, they were pierced. And adding to all that humiliation, he hung there to die, lifted up where all could see, completely naked. Matthew's Gospel informs us of the prophetic fulfillment of Psalm 22:18. this portion, when Matthew says, Then they crucified him, and they divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, speaking about this psalm. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. It was not uncommon for Roman soldiers to cast lots, to divide up the spoils of those whom they conquered. But all they could get from Jesus was a single garment that was left. And when they took it, Jesus had nothing left at all. Everything had been taken away. Nothing. There he was, shame exposed upon the cross for everyone to see. You might recall when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, one of the first orders of business that God had to take care of was to take animal skins and clothe their nakedness for their shame. Their shame before a holy God. And here we have this picture of our Lord high and lifted up for all to see, enduring our shame. Enduring our shame. But He was the one humiliated. He was the one embarrassed. He was the one suffering. Not you and me. And yet there He hung. And while He had hung naked upon that cross... He had through his life of obedience woven such a beautiful robe of righteousness in which he clothed us while he hung in shame. So what appears to be an utter defeat was in reality a complete victory. And as it ends upon the cross, Christ breathed his last, yielded up, his spirit to the Father, and it was finished. The cross crushed the serpent's head, and in just three days, victory would be declared over death and Satan by the resurrection of Christ from the grave. This was his darkest hour, but it was his greatest hour, and it was for us that he did this. Make sure when we leave here this evening, we give him our thanks and our praise. Our gracious Father, how thankful we are for this tremendous gift that you have given us in grace, where you have saved us from our sins, cleansed us from all of our unrighteousness, which 
Christ bore upon the cross, enduring the wrath of God in our place, having been forsaken by God that we might be accepted, dying a shameful death that we might be exalted, being humiliated unto the death of the cross that we might be raised up and honored, How thankful we are to be recipients of your great love and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we give you our thanks and ask, Lord, that as we leave here tonight, you would enlarge our hearts and stretch us to be more thankful that we could see sin more seriously, that we would have the gravitas in our spirit to be holy as you are holy and walk in the path of righteousness that you have ordained for us to walk in. And may we with praise upon our lips, with joy in our hearts, give you praise for what you have done in the shameful death upon the cross, which should have been us, but it was not. Having been forsaken, you now will never leave nor forsake us, your people. May we be comforted in these things, we pray. In the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of His Father, in the name of our Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.